0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. This is The Finch Show. I am James Finch. My guest on the podcast this time is Christopher Spear. He is an artist. He's creator. He's a massive, massive Star Wars nerd, which is awesome. I love it so much. Uh, We had a great conversation, talked about uh, everything he does. He's also a member of the 501st. If you're not familiar with that, stay tuned because we're going to talk all about that. Um, I'm going to just shut up and get into it. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Chris. Okay, so in, I think like the two and a half years now I've been doing a podcast, I have had all shapes and varieties on, uh, different backgrounds, everything, but I think today is a first, because this might be the first time I have a San Francisco Giants fan on the podcast, and I think that's okay, that's okay, like we all make mistakes, it's all right. Anyway, I wanted to drop that on you right off the bat. Uh, what, um, how, how big of a Giants fan are you? For is it just a casual thing, or are you
1: kind of hardcore? Um, recently in the last few years, I've not been following the team as much, just because life and everything. Uh, <laughs> life. But I mean, I I worked for the Giants retail stores um, for a few years. I've oh. kind of casually, you know, been a fan um, during kind of the Bonds era. Basically, it was kind of hit and miss and everything you know it's 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 kind of one of those things where bonds is like you know he's you know there's all that controversy but he's still our guy kind of deal so it's it's a flip but no the last few years have been like um really still i've been watching the team a little bit more because i kind of need that you know that sense of control, if you will, of my life at the moment. So um,
0: well, well, if anything, baseball is a great like decompression
1: thing, right? Oh yeah. 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 And and it's one of those things where I think like right now in baseball, it's like one of the best times because you're getting all these young kids coming up and everything um, that are really good and whatnot. And it's kind of one of those things that like, no matter the team, you're going to find talent somewhere. Mm-hmm. Like the Cubs, they're super hot right now in the last few years. Um, the Rockies have always been good. Dare I say it? I mean, the Dodgers have a pretty good lineup oh, most man. of the time anyways. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's fun seeing the magic that can mm. kind of happen out there on the field um and that's kind of what makes it fun i will still be a giants fan through and through that's me but part of my love for the game is also recognizing that there's you know a lot of like really good skill out there and mm. and, and and not just in these states but also internationally as well mm. so um yeah, it's it's uh, one of my favorite things is watching like World Baseball kind of deal and seeing all of the international teams kind of get it on it and they're really good, like they're oh, really yeah. stinking good.
0: Yeah, even you know <laughs> one of the things that's like 100% on my bucket list is to go to Japan and watch a baseball game because over there they treat baseball the way we treat the NFL. Like a guy yeah. will draw a four pitch walk and the crowd goes berserk, right? You know, we're
1: talking. It's like more of a national pastime for them, yeah, it seems like than, than it is for us. And we were the ones with the original concept got kind of deal. Right, yeah. So
0: <laughs> well, anyway, uh, before I like bore all the nerds who are listening with a whole bunch of baseball talk, but I do have to say, like, um, and, and you're lucky being a Giants fan because you've gotten to experience this several times. Like, I don't care if it's basketball or NFL or what it is absolutely nothing compares to the feeling of October baseball when your team's in the running. Mm-hmm. Like there's no better feeling than that. I, I have right. to admit, you know, I mean, in 2016, us Cubs, we got one. That was our first one, 108 years. And that was still like one of the most magical like months of my life is that postseason?
1: I still get chills listening to the kind of the last few minutes of the last game mm-hmm. kind of deal. And just the, again the magic that was happening in that moment because i mean here was a team that as you said hadn't window no, hadn't won a world series in over a century mm-hmm. and this was their moment kind of deal mm-hmm. and it was just amazing
0: yeah and it was i remember uh, listening to an interview with pat hughes um who's the radio play by play guy for the cubs who got to be the one to say the chicago cubs win the world series and he had said later you don't understand like how like important that was because 108 years ago, radio didn't exist. Mm -hmm. So he literally got to be the first person to ever say, on the radio airwaves, Chicago Cubs win the world series. And that's, mm-hmm. I mean, they're I, and I'm kind of where you are. I'm not, I haven't been following as much this year cause they're trash this year. And I've got so much other stuff going on, mm-hmm. but yeah, still, I think last night I put the Cubs Dodgers game on and it was nice to just, Oh, okay. Put the feet up, relax, mm-hmm. take it in. It's a great mental escape. And uh, even just going to the ballpark is so much fun. It's such a laid back, relaxed, but still fun atmosphere. It, it's great. Um, so do you think, um, we just talked a whole bunch of cosplayers and 3D printing enthusiasts to get into baseball, or are they just did they just skip ahead through that part of the video? Probably skipped ahead. I would.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Anyway, um, I have to ask you. Um, kind of being, I, I, first of all, I love the work that you do. Like I said, some of the stuff that I've seen you put on your Instagram page. I'm just like, that is, that is absolutely amazing. Um, when you first began building,
1: did you begin 100% the 3d printing route or did you Mm -mm. start differently? Mm -mm. So, I mean, first off, my background is that primarily I'm an illustrator. So I've been, I, I've been doing kind of the art world for a long time. I mean, ever since I was like, you know, a little tight kind of deal, and it's only with, been within the last eight years that I've really kind of begun to be more of a maker. I still do a lot of drawing, but it's definitely kind of evolved into being a maker. And I actually used to start with kind of the 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 ground materials, if you will, of like you know EVA foam and using like a foam core and stuff like that—really kind of cheap easy to get a hold of materials kind of deal and kind of just paving my way towards, you know, using like ABS kits uh, that have been like vacuum formed and everything. And then it's only been within the last couple of years that I've been doing kind of the 3D printed route. And um, for those who don't know, I I, there's uh, 3D printing. There's like the there's uh, filament printing, which is kind of taking uh, strings or the string of plastic melting it and then it, the printer takes software that it reads and makes a shape basically and then there's resin printing which does the same thing but in a different way because resin it's this liquid material that it's making into a solid form kind of deal which is really cool and that's something i'm gonna eventually get into um but for those that are getting into 3d printing it's it's as much of an art as it is a science because you have you know, first off, it's this really cool technology that you're able to do practically anything with, but with that you have a lot of like technological stuff going on and everything and I, I get questions all the time on, on that kind of stuff and even I'm still learning to kind of deal too. Uh, in no way am I like a complete expert but. Um, it's been a lot of fun it's been a lot of fun to kind of learn both the, the software side of things and also the hardware side of things in terms of maintaining the printers and everything because you know these these you know these you know cost you know, not a pretty penny but they cost you know enough um, that you want to take care of them and everything so mm-hmm. yeah it's um, it's it's a whole new world
0: to step into like if you decide yeah. to get into the like 3d printing route like whether you're doing cosplay or you're just like wanting to make stuff because just like you said you're learning, first of all, your printer, like how does it work? Why yeah. does it work? What's this? What's that? What are all these problems you run into the software side of it, which is a whole nother bag of tricks that you go through this massive thing of trial and error over. And then uh, like, I don't know, would you call it like the post-production? You know, that's yeah. which seems to me like the most time consuming so part of it.
1: I, I have found in the couple of years I've been doing this, that the post-production is the, the longest task usually, But it ends up being kind of the easiest because you're just sitting there sanding and filling or and and doing whatever to complete the, 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 the print um, to make it look like it's not a printed object Uh, resin printing is a little bit easier nowadays because. Uh, it, it, it's such a clean print right off the right off the resin printer itself there that there's very little cleanup that needs to be done. And then you have machines out there that are able to do both the curing and the wash cycle that you need for resin prints uh in that same process because resin you know needs that cure time basically and then it you know you know you need to wash the the residue that comes off with that. But um I I would say that more more often than not usually if things are going well printers are you know are, are great but you know just like the ink jets and everything or the the laser the laser jets for an office printer 3d printing can have its own you know gremlins and everything so <laughs> yeah i can't tell you when i first i can't tell you
0: how many times i want to take my very first printer and just like throw it in the dumpster and pick a new hobby I was so angry and it was like, and it would get frustrating because when you have like zero background, zero knowledge in it and it starts doing something really goofy and you go do like a Google search and go to these forums where like 10 people are giving you 10 different reasons that it's doing that, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just, yeah, I've got, but, but, um, you know, at the end of the day for as kind of janky as that first printer was, I'm really appreciative because that you learned so much just oh, yeah. troubleshooting and, and now it's like a problem pops up. I'm like, Oh, that's this, you know? And, fix that real quick and then on you go.
1: And especially when you're in a field in which in retrospectively, it's only been around with, with the public for like a decade thereabouts, you know, that, that's, that's quite significant in, in that mindset. You know, we're in a way you can think about it, like the days of the internet, you know, it's, it was with the military for, you know, X number of years. And then it dropped into public, you know, public domain, basically. Um, and there were all these questions about, you know, what was it? How did it work? Um, you know, what were the nuances and everything? I mean, the ways we're still learning. Um, and that's been around for longer, of course. But I, 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 I like that aspect. I like the education, if you will, of, of it and everything. And, you know, each problem that occurs is a chance to learn kind of deal. Mm-hmm. So the uh,
0: Yeah, because I remember a time when 3D printing was like science fiction. Mm-hmm. Like just the notion, like you'd hear these weird things about how, you know, some super smart people in some room somewhere figured out how to 3D print stuff. And you're like, I remember the first time I heard him like, how in the because you're thinking printing, you're thinking a copy machine, right? You're thinking, how the hell would you print something in 3D? Like that doesn't even make any sense, right? You right. know, and I think it was, um, I think it was the third Jurassic, Jurassic Park 3. They had a 3D print. I'm trying to remember that had to have come out early 2000s, maybe.
1: I, I don't think remember. so, but there was something a like 3D
0: that. 3D printer in there where they had 3D printed like the voice box for a Velociraptor, and to me that seemed like one of the most more science fictiony things in the whole movie. Never mind the mm-hmm. dinosaurs; it was the fact that this guy could just like print this thing, and then yeah, it seems like really commercially anyway. It's only been it feels like it's been the last few years that all of a sudden there's been this explosion, not only of interest but of technology, of the amount of people that are doing it, and it's been it's been really crazy to
1: see. And the fact that now it's so reachable now to, from, from an economic standpoint, kind of deal, like the average Joe can go out and spend like, you know, $100 on like a desktop model kind mm-hmm. of deal and be able to print something like the size of like, you know, like K2SO or something like that, <laughs> you know, uh, is, is, is something that's kind of truly amazing in that aspect, you know, that you can go from that kind of thing and then you know, there's, you know, there's a maker out there that I'm actually partnered with um, who's well-known in at least the the, the kind of the, the Star Wars and specifically for like clones and Clone Wars and everything, uh, Galactic Armory. Oh, yes. Um, uh, and uh, he's known for the last few years of making like really solid 3D print files and DIY kits basically for clones and Clone Wars content. Uh, and he's he's got a print farm now that is up to like 74, 75 printers, something like that. It's, <laughs> it, it's incredible. Um, he's actually just finished a life-size. Well, he's working on finishing a life-size print of Master Chief. That from Halo. Insane. Of course, for those who are Halo fans, <laughs> they'll know that he's like seven four, seven five, somewhere in that ballpark. Mm-hmm. Um, just monstrosity and it's magnificent
0: <laughs> yes i i've been following that closely because it is just absolutely blowing my mind because yeah if you go to like etsy like he's got the 3d print file for a model for that and he's like oh yeah i just upscaled it 700 yeah <laughs> and the thing is absolutely massive and i like i, I keep dropping hints to my wife like i don't want to do that someday but then he says it took him like seven printers in like four months to do it because yeah. even something like the foot had to be like broken into like four different files to print and right wow that's so cool i want to do it i don't know if i'm gonna but i want to do it but uh yeah the um and you're so right like commercially like that was that was the most amazing thing is that like right now like folks if you're out there and you're interested in getting a 3d printing it's not like you have to go drop thousands of dollars on some fancy equipment that you don't understand and then start using it. especially now i think we're to the point where we're getting along far enough where you can kind of find used ones for even really good, you could come across people here and there on eBay and even like Facebook Marketplace selling. They got, you know, they bought one, they got into it, decided they didn't have the time for it, or maybe they got frustrated and gave it up. And yeah. you can swoop in and get a pretty good bargain buy for that much.
1: There's a couple of um, 3D print groups I'm a part of on Facebook, and and as much as the it, it also is showing off the you know the work of that some people are doing, it's also uh, there for like support and everything. Uh, for example, I run a lot of like Creality printers, basically, which are like one of they're one of the best filament based printers on the market. There's there's um, the CR10 series, there's the there's the Ender series, which actually the Ender series is probably a really great like beginning printer for those who ever wanting to get into it, uh, because they're generally small, they're fairly compact, they're usually fairly easy to maintain. Um, and they're really inexpensive. Like, for example, their their desktop version, which is like, you know, uh, about maybe like an eight by eight profile, maybe a little bit larger kind of deal. Uh, that's right around like 150 right now, which is mm-hmm. for a printer really not that expensive. Um, in some cases, it's even cheaper than office printers kind of deal. <laughs> um, but um, uh, it, it, it like I said, it's really astonishing to see how like accessible it is and everything? Mm-hmm. It's it's crazy.
0: It's well, and there's enough companies doing it now that it's creating competition. Yes. Like you got to make the better printer and make it, you know, give it a good market point. Otherwise, yeah, you're gonna have all kinds of problems.
1: Yeah, <coughs> absolutely. I mean, and and the the fact that and what's really incredible um, is the applications it can have too. Uh, for example, they're 3D printing houses now, which is like. Mind-boggling, but it's it's the same kind of setup. And what's really cool with that is you can scale it to however large your gantry basically is, um, your your printing perimeter, if you will, kind of deal. Um, and they have a the, the the guys that have been like you know pioneering this and like getting this all set up. The houses themselves are really economical and it's all about trying to just get the mix right of the concrete itself because you don't want it to set too quick you don't want it to you know sit too long because you're still kind of continuously doing the layers mm-hmm. um but it's it's really cool how that comes together and everything yeah.
0: I God, I feel bad. I can't remember his name. There's a guy on TikTok that I follow who I'd, I don't know if it's his company or he works for a company that does that stuff. And, and he's always posting stuff. And it I just tell myself, like, dude, from this point on, like, if I in, ever intend on building a house, like, that's that's the route I'm going to go. Because he said, like, it takes them basically a day to set the track and all the equipment up. And then for the average size house, it takes about 40 hours for it to print. Yeah. And then a day to take all their equipment down. And it's like, you're talking about building a house, man. Like if you were to do that classic lumber and all that stuff and have the foundation weeks,
1: if not months. Yes. You know,
0: (laughs) and, and they look amazing. And the fact that like, you know, virtually on like computer programs, you can have input in designing the house in terms of how big you want the rooms and, you know, whether you want to do radiant heat within the walls, whether you want Mm -hmm. to do old school duct heat. And yeah, that stuff is absolutely fascinating. I'm interested to see um, over the course of time, like over the next, like five to 10 years, what it is that we do will look like, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? In terms of like the kind of printers that are coming out and all the, you know, all the bells and whistles that they're going to have
1: on them and capabilities. And one of the big things that I see all the time is a plug-in and play model. Now, I know that's probably... I for many things that's not quite you know there's always going to be some sort of like knowledge you know thing that needs to happen or you know maintenance or whatever. but i don't I don't think for 3D printing we're quite there yet i I think somewhere between like you know the next, maybe maybe 10 years down the line is where I think we're going to get something that's pretty close to a plug-in play. I don't think it's quite there enough to be able to be like, this is self-sufficient kind of deal. You kind of get there with like, if you have like a BL touch sensor, uh, which is basically for those who don't know, it's an auto leveling system for your printer. And every time you go to print something, it'll auto level, you know, your bed so you don't have to worry about leveling because that's kind of a big part of it um that's kind of got its own issues every so often kind of deal but it's kind of the best if you will plug in and play thing on the market because you kind of just set it and go kind of deal mm-hmm. and they just have to worry about you know reloading filament you know when it runs low um but um I think we're about a decade away or so from actually having a true plug-in and play model. I don't mm-hmm. think it's quite there yet.
0: <laughs> I thought, um, I thought we were there uh, only because I'm ignorant. You know um, I, i told the story in the podcast, so I'm not going to go, go into it, but I had to like, it was a little over a year ago. Um, I had just made a mention offhandedly to my wife that I thought 3d printing was cool, not knowing anything about it, having any background in it whatsoever. And so she decided to get me a 3d printer for christmas you know mm-hmm. and i'm like well this is so cool you know and i thought for sure like oh yeah you just you know it, it's a microwave it's a appliance you set it up you plug it in you upload a file and it comes out beautifully perfect oh boy let me tell you i spent weeks thinking there was something wrong with that machine i'm like is this a lemon what do i need to contact it? what the hell is wrong with this thing you know, and then you start going down the rabbit hole and you're like, oh, extruder, filament, love that yep. leveling. Okay, okay. You know, and um, yeah, it, it's, a, it, it's a lot. I always, because I've gotten to the point now where I've gotten a couple friends that I'm sure you run across us all the time um, who are interested in getting into 3D printing. Mm-hmm. And I always tell mm-hmm. them the same thing. I'm like, be patient. It, it, it takes time. It takes time to learn all this stuff. And, you know, there's no better teacher
1: than experience. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Definitely. And, and I mean, as I said before, the, the main thing is the education of it. Um, you're, you're never in a state where you're not learning something kind of deal. Um, you might have periods where that's, you know, kind of, you know, it's spread out. But it's, you're, you're constantly learning, you're constantly, you know, fine tuning and figuring out what works, what doesn't work kind of deal. Um, even the equipment itself. Um, I, for all the printers I have, and I don't, I don't have a large farm kind of deal. I have have like, you know, like six kind of deal, but that's because I do a lot of production stuff. Um, I have upgraded like a lot of the stock that like comes out of the box kind of deal. I've upgraded like the stock hot ends kind of deal to something that's a little bit more robust, the tubing and everything to make sure that the filament slides out smoother and everything and that kind of took uh, research and fine-tuning to figure out what works, what's available for those printers and everything. So, because not all printers are the same, you know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think, um, as we say that, I think one of the biggest things that I've come across um, from following people in the community and being members of groups on social media, such as Facebook, the biggest thing is that it feels like everybody and their brother is trying to find a way around sanding. Like they're trying to just circumvent that process. And I've seen some really crazy stuff, you know, stuff that's like, even like what was that? The UV resin, which looks like it works really well, but that stuff's like insanely toxic to work with. Well, what's, what's it,
1: what's toxic. Well, the, there was a video that had cropped up uh, about a month or two ago, maybe a little bit longer. Um, of this technique that I saw, and it was actually airbrushing mm. re- uh, resin onto something and, and UV curing it, kind of deal. And that in itself is actually really toxic. It's also really messy, too, because essentially what you're doing, you're doing two things you're aerosol, doing, you're creating resin to be an aerosol at that point which you have no control over how that spreads kind of deal. And thus you're inhaling whatever vapors are with that, no matter what your mask setting is set to, because you need a mask if you're going to do that, which I don't recommend. Uh, and then two is you're going to get it everywhere. Uh, I, would, I would guess it's even more of, uh, you know, it, I do a lot of like spray painting and everything for my stuff. And I have a, like a mock paint booth set up and everything. But I know that you know particulate is eventually going to find its way outside of the booth and everything. I can only imagine what resin's going to do, you know, in that aspect. And it's harder to clean. It's hard to clean up and everything. You need like acetone to clean that stuff up and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, what I what I have found that's actually worked a little bit more recently, uh, and it, it's a little risky for uh using like PLA which is kind of like a really good beginning and I I mean even as an intermediate I use it all the time kind of deal um it's a type of filament that's uh goes really nice through printers and everything and but the the caveat is that it heats up really well like for example you can't leave it out in the sun your print will melt kind of Mm -hmm. deal. So I've done a couple of things. Um, First off is for the sanding is I have both an orbital and I have a mouse sander. The mouse sander especially helps speed up the printing process a lot. Um, And if you're careful and constantly move it around the print, you can actually get a pretty good sanded model in like you know 30 minutes kind of deal if you're if you're diligent depending on the print size and everything and then to like do like hand sanding and whatnot in the crevices that you can't reach with that the other thing i do uh for a lot of models that i i i know i'm worried about like the structural rigidity of of pla is i've used i actually have seen a fellow maker use this stuff and i've been using it for the last you know, 50 prints kind of deal is epoxy resin. And specifically, this is a one-to-one mixture, basically, where you got the resin and then you got the hardener. Uh, And, you know, there's a couple of different resins out there, but the epoxy stuff is basically ones that you've, like people, like they use like for tables kind of deal, like the really nice tables. And then there's like this nice clear surface you can see into it kind of deal. That's that stuff. And it takes about 24 hours to cure. But for example, I have been... I have a a Death Trooper costume inspired by Rogue One that's um, with the 501st and everything. And I've been upgrading its parts. And recently I resin coated those parts with epoxy resin. And I have very little sanding to do. It filled in those print lines Mm. so good and everything. Uh, Like I said, it took about 24 hours to cure and everything, but it's kind of worth it for if I can go spend time doing something else and not having to worry about sanding that as much kind of deal. Um, Trying to think of methods to, you know, kind of let settling set set and be while I go off do something else kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And inevitably there will always be sanding. I think that's just, you know, the nature (laughs) of the beast. with with resin with resin printing, you don't have to worry about that so much, but um, definitely for, for filament printing. There's just no way around it.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I don't think uh, once I remember like when I was new into it, so he was like, Oh yeah, yeah, after it comes out, yeah, because I, I was like frustrated, like, why are these prints coming out with lines on it? Like mm-hmm. the hell? Oh, oh yeah, you just gotta sand that. I think I was prepared for like a how much sanding I was gonna have to do. And then B, how many different types of sandpaper I was going to have to keep in stock in my own house, you know, cause it's just like, okay, now it's like, you look at my room there's everything from 40 to like 1500, you know, depending upon what kind of part it is I'm doing where I need to get really fine, smooth, you know, Mm -hmm. I I, I don't know if you find that where it's sort of like, you know, when you're doing like the helmet of something or like the front facing part, you want to get that like as smooth as humanly possible because that's what, that's going to be everybody's first impression. I have
1: found that, like, for some helmets, I can go to, like, you know, 300, 320, somewhere thereabouts, and have it still look pretty good, um, because, you know, I'm going to weather it later kind of deal. But for other, you know, things where it's, like, you have, like, a gloss or even, like, a chrome finish, like, for example, the Mandalorian helmet as a classic example, because so many people have been printing that helmet for, like, the last few years because of the show. <laughs> yeah. Um, which I can understand why. Mm-hmm. Given his his chrome look and everything. And, and Chrome is such a like a, a fickle material in and of itself. I, I I would say it's probably one of the my least favorite finishes, just because it shows all the imperfections that you may have missed. Um, I actually have a buddy of mine who uh did a Captain Phasma costume uh from the, the Force Awakens and the Last Jedi, uh, and it's brilliantly done and everything and he he went through the chroming process 5 times before Ooh. he went to go do it professionally uh and for that you have to you know you have to make sure that your surfaces are pristine there can be like no dust or whatever <laughs> on there and um if you make a mistake you have to take the entire coat of chrome off Mm-hmm. Um, because chrome does not stick to chrome that well. <laughs> um it's it's like silicone in that way, nothing else sticks to silicone like silicone does, basically. Um uh and and like I said, if you're if you're there's like even the tiniest imperfection, that's gonna show up better in chrome than any other material same with like a gloss coat or gloss finish kind of thing Mm -hmm. it shows the imperfections really well so when you're talking about you know post-production on a print or whatever you're you're it's kind of like you gotta ask yourself you know is this gonna be a weathered thing is this something that I can kind of hide the imperfections on or is this something that's going to be polished kind of deal and you know the sandpaper itself kind of helps dictate that I ha- I'm working on a, a a Vader costume at the moment, and the, I I am doing like this EFX because I mean their EFX back in the day made a really nice uh, uh, helmet cast that's kind of based on the A New Hope variant, and it's a great it's a great piece. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I just don't like the plastic look for like you know kind of looking like the movie characters because I mean they didn't use plastic or at least not that much right so I went in and started kind of doing the production work of sanding that and repainting it and I've had to do that like twice because of like the eggshell effect that goes on and everything Mm -hmm. and then all that stuff but um yeah i have up to like 2000 grip myself so you know even
0: that like with the gloss i ran into that the very first time um i did a storm trooper helmet all i did a scout trooper helmet um and after printing it and after sanding it and priming it and sanding it and priming and sanding it i thought this looks really good the first time i got that coat of gloss white on it i'm like this thing's garbage this thing Mm -hmm. is total garbage like Mm -hmm. i gotta like yeah i gotta get the I got to get the rotary sander out and like start and just strip all of this off. Cause it was, you're right. Every time. I mean, even like a speck of dust, like you can see it clear as day, any kind of, you know, stuff that I thought wasn't visible at all under the primer. And then, yeah, dipping all that gloss, especially if you're in any kind of light, like as soon as the lights are. And that's what I think is so difficult about um, the Mandalorian helmet. Cause it's just like such a dome where it's just like, you know, there aren't, anything in there like you know to to break up the smooth surfaces that are all over that helmet that absolutely when i see people turn some out that literally look like they're made out of metal it's just freaking mind-blowing because you have to appreciate how difficult it is to get that to look that well
1: yeah there and 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 speaking of the, the 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 metal ones there's actually a guy who um, I've been following for about two years now, basically as long as the the, the Mandalorian has been around, maybe a little, you know a little bit longer kind of deal. And um, he is part of this car and like uh, custom and uh, manufacturer shop um, out in the Midwest. And uh, he has he's a welder, he's a metal worker by trade and everything. And he did like this little YouTube series of where he made the Mandalorian ar- uh, armor out of metal Hmm. um i i don't remember the types off the top of my head but um his name's matt schwartz uh and if uh, i think it's may the schwartz be with you is his instagram handle or something (laughs) like that um but phenomenal phenomenal worker and actually um he kind of inspired me early on because he's uh, he not only did the, the the armor, he also did the sewing process, uh, pr- uh, progress of like the 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 soft parts and everything. And he turned out a really nice Din Djarin, um, mm. which looked phenomenal. But I mean, you're, you're right though in that there are makers out there who turn out these pieces that that look, you know, like they were came out of a metal factory kind mm-hmm. of deal. And it's just <laughs> it's crazy the amount of skill that that's out there.
0: The, um, especially because I remember I've been going to cons now um, for probably 15, 16 years and seeing the leap in quality, I I, like from that time until now, like I remember back in the day, everything was made with foam or you'd even just, you you know, people would attempt to sew, sew like a Wolverine costume together. um, And yet you walk around cons now you know, and it is mind blowing. And that's why I love, I I hate stopping them because I know they're busy, but I love getting into conversations with them all the time. Like, how did you do that? What did you use? You know, well, this part's foam, but I 3d printed this part because it's weight bearing, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. You could just go 100% down the rabbit hole with some of the people on this stuff, Mm -hmm. Um, which, you know, bring, and it's funny that you bring up the Mandalorian helmet because that was sort of like, for me, the Mandalorian helmet was like the linchpin. Like I was one of those guys, Because the original 3D printer that I had that my wife got me was a real small one, you Mm -hmm. know, and I only used it for doing like minis for like Dungeons and Dragons and stuff like that. And I, I remember watching the Mandalorian and thinking to myself, man, that'd be so cool to have a helmet like that. Like, okay, technically I could print that on my little printer, but then you'd be making these little tiny tiles. And, you know, back then I had no understanding of PLA welding. It was just all I used was super glue. And I'm like, that would look like absolute garbage. (laughs) You know, (laughs) if I got a bunch of tiles and tried to like glue them together. Um, and so I ended up doing some research on like 3d printing, like a Mandalorian helmet, which got me to buy my next printer, which was a silver one. And now I've got four down in my basement, not Mm silver ones, but four like printers beyond the, beyond the little one. Um, yeah. So anytime I see somebody printing a Mandalorian helmet for me, it's like, oh yeah, yeah. Cause that was, I think that was, I think for A lot of people. That was the gateway drug, right? Like that was the gateway drug that got them into three D printing, and now they're just like, you know, so deep into it they need to get another mortgage out on their house to buy filament. You know, (laughs) because basically, (laughs) basically, the um, I have to ask you about the five zero first. Sure, tell me. About the 501st. I'd love, like, I'm aware of what the 501st is because I remember seeing, like, uh, I don't know if they have official titles, like detachments or units at cons for years and knowing that they're, like, uh, you know, uh, basically a, a what would you call it, like a stormtrooper cosplay organization? Or, you know, I'm just going to let you explain it. No, no
1: worries. So, so the 501st is this w- worldwide group of people who are fans of Star Wars, basically. And our goal basically is to do costume camaraderie and also charity being like one of our, our big things that we've done. We've worldwide we've done you know, we've given millions of dollars to various charities around the world um and whatnot. And I myself I've done a whole lot of announcements and everything i'm actually doing a, a a charity auction myself later over the summer kind of deal that will be kind of a continuation of that and everything um but it's all these guys and and basically all the costumes they're fan made uh there's the and there's no Contrary to popular belief, there is not an affiliation with Lucasfilm at all. They, you know, they support us and everything and what we do, they love what we're doing and everything, but we have no affiliation with them whatsoever. Um, uh, And we are, I mean, as simple as our slogan, we're bad guys doing good. Uh, And we we love that concept that, you know, these guys who are like the Stormtrooper, for example, you know, that that takes you right back to, you know, episode four kind of thing, you know, where you see them coming out of the, the airlock for the first time. And then of course you have Darth Vader there. Um, and it's it's one of those things. And we strive for screen accuracy. And I know that for a lot of people that may sound like, you know, like we're sticklers, like we're elitist in that kind of style. It It's not that at all. It's that we're striving to recreate the magic that, people have felt or had felt and continue to feel whenever they watch those films because it's kind of like, huh, (laughs) you know, (laughs) there's there's that there's Vader on screen there. And then now he's in front of me kind of deal. I I saw this video of somebody who was uh, who was suited up in Vader and he was at a school and the kids in the hallway it sounded like they were at a justin bieber concert you know kind of deal um just this this outpouring you know cries of joy kind of deal for just the presence of that and then on the flip side which i i have actually been able to feel this before is you know we'll go to like children's hospitals kind of deal um there is nothing more magical, I think, than being in a costume of a character that's been on screen at everything. And this is where I think it's most important that you know you're 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 looking good, that you're looking as if you're um, you know, on screen and everything. Because as much as adults will know kind of the details for those who are like really avid fans of the film, kids will tell you, you know, if something's <laughs> off kind of thing. Um
0: aren't you a little short to be a stormtrooper? Right,
1: <laughs> yeah. right. Um but uh, there, there's nothing more magical than to go to a kid uh, who's, you know, health-wise, whatever the case may be, not doing so hot, and just their eyes light up and everything. Mm-hmm. That's that's kind of the magical bit. And it's not just the 501st that does this. Um, there's actually, like, three major costuming groups that are, like, worldwide. There's the 501st, which is bad guys. Um, there's the Rebel Legion which is all about like the heroes and everything. So you got, you know, you got Luke Skywalker, you got, you know, Han Solo, Princess Leia and all, all, you know, all the costumes. You got heroes from the prequel era and also the sequels and everything. Um, And then you got the Mandalorian mercs, which are kind of their own thing. Um, And, you know, you got Boba Fett in there. You got Jango, you got legends like Cal Scarada and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And the Mandalorian mercs have something extra in that. You can make your own Mandalorian, which is something I've been working on on and off for the last few years. And you can, as long as you kind of kind of got the overall feel, you can kind of do whatever you want, kind of thing, which mm-hmm. is both liberating and terrifying because <laughs> then you're like, okay, I got a plan, but is this what I want? Kind of deal, right? You know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> and you and you never quite know how it's gonna look till it's in front of you. You're right. No, yeah. You know? No,
1: exactly. Exactly. And that's that's where something like, you know, the the, you know, where you're doing something that's kind of on screen. That's kind of like, okay, you're kind of getting into the feel, you're getting kind of, you know, you're you're working out the materials, you're getting, you know, this kind of exactly right, you know, and everything. Um but, you know, with, with something that's kind of custom, that's a little bit more daunting because you've got the skills. Now you got to go and make something yourself kind of thing from yeah. your own concept <laughs> kind of deal. So it's like, eh, yeah, cool, but yeah, terrifying.
0: <laughs> That yeah, I can, uh, yeah, I can understand that on both sides. 100%. Like, mm-hmm. that feels to me like, oh, this feels like the most creative thing in the world. I get to just make up. And then you probably get like partway through and be like, is this going to look stupid? Right. i going to look like a total idiot. Is this going to work? Am I, oh God, should I? Yeah, I can, I can completely understand that. Uh, what's the, um, the 501st, is there like, um I guess I would say like a governing body that oversees everything? Or is it so, just?
1: Yeah, so um what it, it because it's, you know, like 14,000 or so members worldwide. I'm not kidding. It's, it's like the biggest collection of star wars members in a you know in a group basically and at one point we had a member on every continent kind of deal I don't know if we still do um but um there is there is kind of a, a governing body if you will that kind of is there to kind of just you know manage you know our, our our charters and everything and trying to make sure that you know we're all having a good time and everything and then it's broken down into, Uh, different garrisons basically so different uh, uh regions so i'm part of the golden gate garrison um which is uh this area of california where it's basically the the bay area if you will and uh not every garrison has this but it's our our garrison in particular is broken up into squads and those are also region based so i'm part of the north bay squad which is kind of above uh, it's kind of in the area above San Francisco a little bit in a kind of inc- compromising kind of northern, um, the northern Bay Area, if you will. We've got a Peninsula Squad, we got South Bay, we got East Bay kind of deal. If you know the Bay Area, you'll know those terms. If not, it's a little confusing. Um, but we have we have garrisons all over the world. There's the Canadian garrison. The German garrison is by far the largest garrison, and they have over a thousand members. Wow. Um, to put that in perspective, our my, my garrison we have I think 200 oh, um, wow. active members and everything. <laughs> so the the German garrison's massive. <laughs> um, um, and uh, uh, we have, uh, you know, we have a garrison in the Netherlands, there's one in the UK, there's, there's, there's several in China, you know, it's, it's all over the place. But the, the, over, the overarching idea is that we're all out doing events. We're all, you know, and the, one of the things that we have is that to be, a, you know, an active member, because we recognize there's also people in the military, there's people that maybe aren't able to get out in troop every day kind of deal. Um, is that we ask that we just have one people you know people do one troop a year kind of deal in their costume and it can be whatever costume like for example i have like you know six of my earners right now that are finished and are with the 501st or at least affiliated with the 501st and you know you can do one troop in any of one of those costumes kind of deal Mm -hmm. so and you know, you'll, your status is counted as active basically, or you could be like a reserve for a year if you're not able to troop kind of deal or, you know, whatever the case may be. Uh, but yes, to get back to the original question that there is kind of a governing body within each area. And then we're all in charge of like, you know, our own, you know, like merch basically that we set up to get approved. And, you know, we can have like little little trading and everything. Um, uh, it's it's just a, a, fun, a fun time for, for Star Wars fans and whatnot um yeah
0: <laughs> do they have uh do they have any specific rules in terms of like what armor you need to wear like can you wear clone era can you wear like you know first order so, era so or? that,
1: so that's where it kind of gets interesting because uh the the five of first gets broken down even further with that and where you have <laughs> detachments oh, and, and it, okay. as exactly as they're saying so like for example me being a clone wars guy and everything there actually is a detachment that's centered around the clone troopers so you got you got uh the movie clones from like attack the clones and revenge of the sith you got legend clones which are also kind of in that same category um like alpha 17 and the null arcs and, and whatnot from like the dark horse comics you've got the clones from like the clone wars tv series and all their variants and whatnot and then as you're saying there is a group for like the first order troopers there's there's technically a group for like the, a detachment for all the stormtroopers and then there's like the officers and then there's the <laughs> you know and there's one for like the sith lord specifically so it, it kind of goes on and on but yeah it, it for as mass as a, for as massive as a group as we are you know we try to have some sense of order with with all the <laughs> right the planning everything so
0: that's crazy um <laughs> and maybe
1: it's just like i was like um
0: I'm to the point. I want to say what year was it that the Phantom Menace came out? Was that like 2000?
1: I think it was 99, 99, 99, 2000, somewhere thereabouts. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So I was, I was 19 when that movie came out. Um, Prior to that, you know, all we had was the original trilogy. Yeah. So there was like Stormtrooper, scout trooper, snow trooper, or pilot. Like, there, was a, there wasn't a lot of variants, and, and it's so cool now. Now, sometimes I'll be flipping through cosplay pages and stuff, and you see, like, you can literally see, like, hundreds. I mean, between, like, the clone era and, the you know, the Galactic Civil War era and so on, you see so many crazy variants that a lot of them are still technically screen accurate.
1: Definitely. Um, it, it's 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 one of those time periods in which, like, now it's like one of the best times to be a star Wars fan. Cause you get so much that's coming out. That's like out now kind of deal and everything, you know, with the explosion of, of the, the, the video game industry. And also the, you know, the live action shows and everything that we're getting now, there's, there's, there's just so much content out there. Even, even the, the, I mean, as you can see back here, I've got, you know, a lot of the books. I don't have all of them, but I have a lot of the books that are coming out from like, you know, the legends, you know, category, as well as canon and all that. And there's there's just so much there. And I and I and I get this actually, I get I get this from my mom, actually, in terms of because she grew up with me growing up with Star Wars as being kind of my main realm and everything. I mean, I'm a Lord of the Rings fan. I'm, I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm into Marvel and everything, but Star Wars is kind of like my primary realm where I try to learn as much of the ins and outs, all the connections, as much as possible. I'm nowhere in expertise in that matter, but <laughs> um, it's one of those things where, like, I try to absorb as much as I can and... At times it is overwhelming because there is so much. And there is also plenty more that's coming out. Like, for example, Dave Filoni just posted earlier today that you know the Ahsoka series is now in production kind of deal. And he did that with the chair with the Ahsoka title on the back and his hat kind of thing. This is classic <laughs> hat, and whatnot. Um, and the internet's exploding with that pretty much. And then of course we got the Kenobi series, which I'm stoked for that's coming out. Mm-hmm. Um We've of course had the book of Boba Fett. We've had uh, the Mandalorian season three wrap up recently with filming and it's going to be airing later this year, uh, which uh, it's phenomenal. Uh, It's phenomenal time right now. Um, And I I can't wait for some of the the films that are coming out that have been announced. Like for example, I can't wait for Takai Waititi's film that project that he's working on. Um, Because I mean, anything that guy does is like, (laughs) (laughs) Gold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: yes for sure the um it, it's great i love that um you know you're dealing with a universe that i mean yeah you could get into like the old republic stuff if you wanted to but i mean in a lot of ways we're talking like if you go from like the prequel era mm-hmm. to like the introduction you know from like phantom menace all the way through you know the rise of skywalker You're dealing with a big thing of time. And so you can do stuff where it's like, oh, this, like you can do like the Rise of Skywalker that has that like first order feel to it. But then I love it, I got to admit, being the old school fan that I am, when they do stuff like the Mandalorian that has that Galactic Civil War feel to it in terms of the outfits and the armors and the
1: ships. And that's one of the things that I loved about especially Mandalorian season one. And I also, I think I love season two a little bit more, but especially season one of that, because this is like post the Galactic Empire by about five years, give or take. I love that there is this blend of the old and the new kind of deal. And it feels, it feels real Mm -hmm. kind of thing. It feels like an extension, if you will, of where we left off in the uh the return of the jedi to where you know din is now you know on his journey and everything which i i predict that they're probably going to groom him to be the mandalore they're kind of like if you especially if you compare old you know uh like legends lord everything about mandalore they're basically grooming him to be that yeah (laughs) but aside from that is it from like the sets and the scenery and the costume and everything like what i saw when we were seeing the stormtroopers and and especially also even the death troopers and moff gideon at like the the season uh the final two episodes of season one that's where it really felt like these worlds are have blended together kind of deal they become one kind of thing which is Exactly what you want to have like a continuation of a story kind of deal, mm-hmm. um, or at the very least, in this case, it's a condition. It's a story that's taking place in a universe that's already you know pre-existing in our minds for the last forty or so years, and to do that, it's really difficult. But it, they pulled it off so well and everything, and I think having folks like Dave Filoni and like John Favreau be part of the creative involvement with that. And of course, you got, you know, you got John Noel, you got, you know, Dave Chung, I think it is his last name, I forget it at the moment. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, <laughs> it's this wealth of knowledge that's been accumulating for years kind of deal. And of course, you know, John Noel being like an ILM, like like grew up kind of back in the day, like, you know, with with all of that, it, it's it's really incredible to see, that come to fruition. I, I, I I'm glad the people that are in charge are doing this because, you know, I I think if you if you tweaked it in any other aspect, like if you had a little too much empire emphasis, or if you had, I, I don't know if it would be quite right. So I mean, everything from mm-hmm. the costumes, the ships, to just the overall nuance of having remnants of the empire still around, I think they did very well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> yes.
0: And I, 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 feel like, um, Disney is really smart because whether it's star Wars or whether it's Marvel, they're smart enough to let the storytellers tellers tell stories without getting in the way, without yes. getting studio execs and focus groups involved and, Oh, you got to have this in there and you got to shove this in there. Like, get the creative people let them do their thing and they will make you a butt ton
1: of money in the process you know oh yeah yeah <laughs> I, and and uh, without getting too much into it uh, that's one of the things that you know with the with the sequel trilogy having there been so much controversy around that series and then of course having it come out that there wasn't you know a whole lot of planning that went on with it and everything i for me personally the last jedi was the most beautiful cinematic-wise. I think it's one of the most beautifully done films of what we've gotten so far. Rogue One probably up there with them because Rogue One had a lot of like mix mixes of, like, of uh, miniaturettes like what they did back in the day and a lot of this amazing CGI. But I think, I think Last Jedi kind of tops it a little bit. But I think the story always felt a little lacking just you just did in my general opinion and everything. I mean, you know, I I know people that love it. That's fine. You know, it's yeah. it, as long as it's there to entertain, it's done its job kind of deal. That's what a movie is all about, kind of thing. Um, but I think just the overall story, it, it didn't feel like it, like the main characters kind of grew a little bit. If anybody the the, the primary, if anybody, the character that grew the most was Kylo yeah um when you break it down piece by piece it's kylo ren ben solo that that grew the most throughout the trilogy Mm -hmm. and i i think that was probably always their intent but in a way he felt like a side character that got a lot of main character story if you will there wasn't a lot of development that went on with him or at least it felt like there wasn't a lot of development that went on with him as much as there could have been kind of deal if he was to be like a full main story character, mm-hmm. which, I mean, he probably, he basically was, if you look at the trilogy, it's an, it's an entirety, but you always thought that like Ray was the main, the main character in this. um, And you got like, you got Finn and you got Poe and everything. Um, I just feel like there, there needed to be yeah. more. And then just that, the the fact that there uh, that there apparently wasn't much of a sense of direction and everything makes me wish that there had been kind of deal yeah that so. um,
0: that movie felt like it was just keeping the seat warm for J.J. Abrams to come back and do the one after that was and then that's I got to admit like I didn't have a problem at all in the Rise of Skywalker with Palpatine coming back yeah. except for the fact that it felt forced at the very beginning like oh by the it's... way Palpatine's back and it's like Dude, if you had three movies, you could have like woven this into the story arc and brought it on. Even if you didn't reveal it until this movie, that's fine. But yeah, it just kind of felt like, you know, they had um, they did that movie and sort of the idea was, okay, make a movie, make it entertaining. Don't change the characters too much to screw it up for J.J. coming in after. And, you know, it it's it it felt safe,
1: you know, it felt like
0: it did some new things, but ultimately it was. You know, like
1: in a way, because I mean, for me, I, I, my top two movies are Empire and Rogue One, and sometimes they flip back and forth and everything. And I think for for the new movies, Rogue One was more of a chance in a way because you're already dealing with a story that's directly involved with what's coming next, kind of deal, mm-hmm. which is the OG film. Yeah. And then you're also trying to make it feel both modern and still within that storyline kind of deal.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I feel like, and I feel like, in a way, um, it's kind of like what was done with the prequels, if you will, uh, in that you're making another prequel film, but it, 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 and it's really hard to do to kind of go back in time and tell a story that's cohesive. And, and making it blend. It's it's kind of the same problem that um, uh, uh, Weta Workshops and New Line Cinema had with The Lord of the Rings in telling uh, kind of, if, if you will, a prequel era of The Hobbit films and everything. They had to go back in time and tell that story and still make it blend, you know, with you know the already established universe. Um, it's very hard to do. And I think Rogue One was more of a chance because you you already got this kind of established line of characters that you're, you, you, or you already got this established universe that you're trying to, you know, blend together and you, you you don't want to, you don't want it to screw up or anything like that. Um, and what I find so interesting about Rogue One is that it's such a simple concept. You know, it's literally taking that first line of dialogue out of the 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 opening scroll of a new hope and that it's you know a, that rebels have infiltrated and stolen the plants to the death star mm-hmm. you know it's such a simple plot and yet they've turned it into what i think is probably like the, one of the finest two hours and a quarter masterpieces in the saga mm-hmm. kind of deal just based on the fact that the concept is so simple kind of thing Mm-hmm. Um, and i think if it wasn't so simple i don't know if it'd be as successful i think if there was too much going on with that concept then it, i don't know how well it would go but uh, i think it w- they took more of a chance doing that than they did with the sequel trilogy because with the sequels you're telling an extension of the story that happened afterwards so you got plenty of chance to go anywhere you want hmm Because nothing's been established afterwards, and with that, I don't think as much planning with that. You know, I I don't think there was enough planning with that, given that notion and everything. You had plenty of you know ways to go with this, and you took this direction, which wasn't maybe the greatest kind of deal, right? (laughs) So,
0: well, it's kind of always been the um, yeah the uh, as somebody who's like a fan, like a huge fan of the original trilogy. Um, I I've told, I don't know if I've told this story in the podcast before, but like empire always has this like special connection to me purely because of the fact when I, I'm not going to get into the, the long story. When I was uh, when I was in first grade, I was in a car accident and I was laid up in a hospital. I want to say for six weeks. Yeah, it was like six weeks. And this was at a point in time where I was on the children's ward of the hospital. I was at my leg was in traction. I couldn't go anywhere. They didn't have cable on the TVs in the room and, and the entire unit, they had one TV with a VCR and a cart and they had two movies, Care Bears and Empire Strikes Back. And I must've watched Empire Strikes Back. I swear to God, like five, six times a day for like six weeks. Cause it was either that or stare at the window. You know, mm-hmm. There was nothing else to do, mm-hmm. but when you get into rogue one, I love, it was a new story. It was an original story. It yes. had 100% the feel of the original trilogy yes but tied into stuff you knew mm-hmm. <laughs> and the thing that i love about that movie is that you, like you go to the original trilogy right we know darth vader like we know darth vader's a badass like the we know that but when you look at those three movies most of it is through presence and intimidation yes when in rogue one you get to see him go like full sith lord on a bunch of people and just like Oh, that whole scene where he's just like jacking those rebel troops up and you're just like, I got to tell you. you, I
1: mean, I mean, I think I, I got to give credit to Gareth Edwards for using Vic because I mean, recently I saw the, the behind the scenes documentary that they did. Uh, I mean, it, it, they did it several years ago when after the film came out, but I recently saw it uh, on YouTube uh fantastic documentary on rogue one if you want to see it because they talk about like all of the the concept and the nuances everything and gareth mentions that you know when you're using vader you know for something like that you can't use him too much because he's not the main story guy Mm -hmm. so it's a matter of when you bring him in and how often you bring him in kind of deal. i think he did it brilliantly yes Kind of thing, you know, there's that There's that little snippet that we saw with him, you know, with Krennic going to Mustafar, um, which I hope we go back there in the Kenobi series. Mm-hmm. It looks like we might, given some of the footage in the trailers and everything, um, which is partly why I'm so excited. Um, but you get that little snippet there in that scene, and then you get him at the board where they're getting ready to board the ship, and then you get him in the hallway scene which is like i i think one of the 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 best hall- i mean they've done several <laughs> hallway scenes now in, in the saga but that's like one of the best ones because it's so unexpected and so terrifying and mm-hmm. awesome at the same time yes cuz you see and and my Vader that I'm building is actually based on the Rogue One look. For those who don't know, Vader's suit changes every film. Yeah. <laughs> I like to say it's not Star Wars if there isn't a continuity problem. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but it's Vader's Vader's suit in Rogue One, and I've done the research over time, is, is, is this perfect blend between A New Hope, the way he looks like in A New Hope, which is kind of that nostalgia feel, and the the amazing badassery that is the empire look and everything they took those two it kind of blended them together you got this amazing suit that looks awesome in rogue one and just combat you know combine that with the fact that you get this amazing fight scene at the end it doesn't last long but it's long <laughs> enough to solidify your mind that this guy is not to be messed with right deal yes
0: you know yes and you can and, just see it in your mind where it's like completely black hallway the troops are staring and you hear the like creaking metal and then just
1: i I think it's that creaking metal and then the like the second breath that comes afterwards that that it's that tension that you feel kind of thing it's like what's coming oh my god it's him you know kind of deal (laughs) and you you for a split second, you feel for the rebels at that point, and then it's all on Vader. Like he's amazing. Yeah, yeah. but you
0: want to see, you feel bad for him, but you want to see him get jacked up.
1: Oh like, yeah, that's just yeah. I mean, <laughs> um, I and I've I, I've read the Vader comics that have come out from like Marvel and everything from like the last you know the you know, and if, for those who are not into comics or at least um or at least getting into kind of that that realm, read the Vader comics because mm-hmm. they're amazing. Um. And there's this one issue, I forget what issue it is, but he's on a planet and he's surrounded by like a battalion of rebels or something like that. And his one line as he ignites his lightsaber is, all I see is fear and dead men. <laughs> referring to the men that are about to be dead uh. by him. <laughs> um, and it's it's one of those lines that I kind of, it's one of those scenes that I kind of felt watching you know i cuz i watched rogue one back again recently and it it, it it's kind of with those those images that kind of entered my mind as i'm watching this fight scene in the hallway it's like this 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 guy is not to be messed with honestly no. like no no <laughs> one has a good time with their invader <laughs> no <laughs> he didn't get
0: invited to the office party very often like no. yeah you know, he just seemed like he'd be a bit of a downer well hey man we're uh we are up against the clock here uh, okay you got uh, first of all i mean thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me um i feel like this is one of those things where if we had four hours we could fill four hours like oh, easily. yeah we could just keep going Easy. and going and going Easy. and it'd be great but uh but hey i do want to say uh once again thank you and uh you got anything to uh say to folks on the way out
1: um god closing right um how do i do this again um i just wanted to uh, you know pre- uh first of all thank you for having me on that's it's been such a, a pleasure and an honor and and everything and i'm glad to just kind of just sit down and talk stuff and everything mm-hmm. uh but to the audience and everything i just want to say if you're you know if you're a maker out there you know keep on learning everything if you're not a maker yet it's a lot of fun it's a lot you know it's a lot of trial and error, but it's a lot of fun for sure definitely well, well worth it so I, and i i appreciate the listeners just hopping in if you, you skipped to skipped past the baseball bits you know <laughs> whatever but uh yeah i thank you yeah all right well
0: thank you so much man and uh we'll catch you next time all righty thank you All right. So that was the episode with Christopher Spear. I want to thank all of you for uh, tuning in, listening, liking, subscribing, all that good stuff that, you know, everybody does on the internet now. It's so important. Uh, I'm going to get out of here until next time. I just want to say
1: that I love all of you and I hope you take care of each other and we'll talk to you next time.